Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So Dave, I have a confession to make. I have a WWDC hangover. Although you indulged a little too much in the new APIs. There is so much. (laughs) So here we are, we're recording a week after WWDC. The dust is starting to settle. We got such a big year this year that I personally am am kind of feeling overwhelmed and I'm having a hard time figuring out what to tackle this summer at all and what to tackle first because there's so much that we got. I mean, this was a WWDC for the ages. Like this, this was, I would say, the biggest one since the Swift announcement about, what, five years ago was that? I imagine so. We were on Swift 5 now. But yes, that sounds about right, that it was about four or five years ago. And there, there are just, we got so many huge new APIs, so many like foundational shifts in things we can do. We got almost everything we were asking for, like on the API front, really, uh, which is kind of amazing. And, and there's, there are so many things that like any, any one or two of these would have made for a pretty good summer and pretty good year. And we got like six of them, <laughs> so, yeah, which is a little overwhelming. I, I, a little. It is like, and it, I remember feeling like I always, uh, go around WWDC with a notebook where I like I keep try I try and ha- and one of my lists I keep like six lists and one of my lists is always like this is the thing I need something I need to follow up on like some kind of offhand comment they make or some API or news thing that they mention that I'm like huh that's interesting to look at um, and usually that's maybe like two or three things at the end of the week because um, these are usually things that aren't you know, like the obvious things that I have to look at you know if they're making a change to HealthKit that affects my apps like I'm going to know all about that but there's always also those things that are just like interesting and more side notes and this year that was like two pages um, (laughs) of like you know small writing in my book where there's all these things that are just kept coming and it in some ways it makes sense i feel like last year we had like last year felt like a tune-up like it felt like it was this year where we got some good stuff and things got better but for the most part, it was much more incremental and much more just these small improvements to things, which in some ways was nice and it made for a much quieter summer. But this year feels like you know it's like the the they've like the, the dam is burst and all the things that they've been holding back or they've been working on in secret for years and years and years now all finally appeared all at once. And like that's great. But yeah, where do we start? Exactly. I mean, like my list of like significant things i want to tackle this summer (laughs) so like i spent yesterday still trying to get airplay 2 to work because i keep making small progress i went to a lab i talked to the talked to the people at the lab they were great so i got a few tips on things things i could try to solve my problems so i started trying that yesterday still didn't get anywhere but i'm getting slowly you know fewer problems (laughs) uh you know the first thing i usually do when there's a new beta is I set my de- I set my minimum deployment target to the newest version of the OS and look at all the deprecation warnings I get. And I try to see, all right, what you know, how do I tackle these? And usually fixing deprecation warnings is a really easy job because it's like, oh, the value of this constant changed. Like the activity the the style of spinner activity indicators. It like the old styles are deprecated, now there's new ones. Like I can't use white anymore or gray. I have to use medium and large fine that took like one minute to go through my code and and replace those it was fine but there's also a significant other deprecations that will require like adoption of entirely new apis and that's things like background refresh which is huge uh context menus from 3d touch 
also huge. Um, lots of small things like using the uh, status bar frame to detect orientation. There's all sorts of stuff that is deprecated in iOS 13. It's a huge year for just like fixing deprecation warnings and using the new and migrating to whatever replaces them. Like normally that's a, that's a small job this year. That's going to be probably two weeks. Uh, and then there's also maybe one week, but so there's also a, the entire thing about catalyst formerly called marzipan on podcasts, like where you can bring your iPad app to the Mac. That's awesome. Uh, but it's going to take some work. Like, and, and as I started doing it with my app, I realized that's a bigger job than I expected it to be. Like, I'm going to have to do more work than I expected there. There's there's a lot more, like, Mac-specific UI considerations that you should probably be making. Like, for me, one of the biggest ones is using my iPad app on the Mac right now really is clumsy because of my my two-column navigation that's navigating what's really a three-column hierarchy of, of navigation stack. And so I want to make a three-column view, but that's more work I have to do. Uh, they also finally gave me Siri audio intents, which is huge. That w- that could have been half the summer right there, just impl- implementing all the new Siri kit stuff, which is so much better than it was last year. It, it kind of makes me mad that I spent last summer doing it because I have to like rip out a lot of that now and redo it. Uh, but oh well. But that's that's a huge thing right there. Siri audio intents that could be three weeks of, of development right there. Then. They did sign in with Apple, which I'm not sure if I should use yet, but I probably should offer it. I don't need to. I don't fit the requirement of needing to offer it, but I I probably should offer it anyway. That's a thing. Uh, There's, I also would love, like, there's this new core data and cloud kit synchronization API. Danger, danger. I know. I have flashbacks to a very bad situation that happened, what is it, six years ago when they first tried that? Yeah, yeah, well that was, and that was, that was very bad. But this, this is not that, like that, that was free cloud kit. This looks a lot better. And like, I watched the video on that and I'm like, man, I would love to free myself of user data. Like right now I have to manage all this user data on my servers. I would love to free myself of that burden and get myself out of the business of running most of the servers I run. I would still probably run some for like, you know, crawling and proxying stuff, but I would get myself out of the business of running most of my servers, which I'm increasingly hating. So like that would be huge, but moving my entire data layer like that would also be a massive job. That's like a whole year right there of getting that right like it would be six months of the initial implementation and then six months of bug fixes of getting because it's it's changing the way sync and data storage work and user accounts and my users ultimately wouldn't care about that like i would care and i would benefit but they mostly wouldn't and they would probably be angry at uh at the process where no new features basically happen in the app for a long time um also there's the entire question of swift ui which is huge. Like Swift UI, formerly known as Amber in the rumor mill, like this is massive. Now it's it's also like I started playing with that. It's super early. It's clearly a 1.0, but it is it's surprisingly good for a 1.0, but you know, it's still like to me there's there's a huge learning curve there. Um, because I also, by the way, need to really lo- finally learn Swift and dive into it fully. Like I've used Swift for a couple years but i wouldn't say i know it and so i spent the last like i spent the plane ride home and the couple days after just reading through the swift book and and finally like teaching myself a lot more of the details about how this language works and how to use it but i still have to start using it and so now i I want to really dive into swift fully and start writing all new code in swift whenever that's reasonably possible 
but I have an app that is like 99% Objective-C, and so there's there's like a bunch of overhead, both conceptually and in code, of doing that, of starting to write new code in Swift if it's interacting with an almost entirely Objective-C app. Like, there's there's some overhead to that. And so I have to, or I want to learn an entire language that is pretty new to me still, use that to write new UI code in a new UI framework that fortunately you can also adopt Swift UI like in parts in in a UI kit app uh, and other and other languages but that's still you know integration there's barriers there's bridges there's transfers so like there's friction there not to mention the fact that Swift UI is itself brand new and so there's very little documentation very few tutorials like Swift UI as it stands today is going to be like adopting that today is going to be the hardest version of Swift UI to adopt that we will ever have because it is so young and so minimally documented and there's no sample code, there's no tutorials. Like, so it's that's very, very young. And there's still the giant question, like as I was playing with it, I had the giant question of like, how do I know what I can do? Like that's really hard for me with Swift UI. Like I would like, you know, okay, well you, you type in like the box or whatever, you get some crazy Swift error if you do anything slightly wrong because yeah. <laughs> like the, the crazy syntax uh, hacking they're using to get it to work, it produces incredibly unfriendly Swift errors if you like miss a brace somewhere or if you if you use like a type that isn't implying a return of the correct value or something. It's it's real weird. Or, or like if you actually see the if you like right click on a block and you say like move to method and you see the method signature it generates you realize quite how complex and crazy this language is of trying to fit this fairly dynamic system into this incredibly rigid language <laughs> and there's all these generics everywhere and it's it's a mess like once you go slightly below the surface so there is there is a huge learning curve there you can do the simple stuff quickly but more complex stuff is going to take us a while to figure out how to do and, and to really internalize how this works. So Swift UI, that's a huge thing I want to tackle this summer. And I also want to rewrite my entire watch app using Swift, Swift UI, and combine a whole new thing to me as well sure. <laughs> with the independence goal and with direct syncing to the internet and direct downloading from the internet uh, so that the so that the standalone playback is much more reliable like so that's that's another thing i wanted to do and and i just i have this huge dilemma of not only like where do i even start with all this stuff cuz what i just described is like 3 years of work you got 3 months it'll be fine yeah right <laughs> exactly i have 3 months at, at the end of which my customers will want all of this <laughs> and then and, and I think a lot of this comes down to a, a dilemma that I have that I think a lot of us are probably facing right now, which is the dilemma of wanting to rewrite code using the new stuff. Like we have a code base that works, but there's all this new stuff that in many ways is better and in many ways can reduce the amount of that code or can eliminate certain problems that we're having. And so it's so tempting to want to rewrite what already works, what we already have. And like on one level... That is a terrible idea. Like, there's the famous old Joel on Software post about it. Like, this, this is known in the industry. Like, rewriting stuff that already works from scratch is usually not a good idea. Uh, it's, it's, it, it usually is not nearly as easy as you think it will be. It usually has a large period afterwards where you basically have to refix all the bugs that you fixed over the last X years. Like, you refix them in the new system. Uh, and, and customers don't really usually care or benefit from whatever you did under the hood. But it's so tempting 
to do this, to, to get the new stuff, to simplify things, and to eliminate certain classes of bugs or problems that you were having. But your old code works. And it's rarely a good idea to rewrite what works. But at the same time, I look at this and I think, well, I do need to learn some of this stuff, so this might be a good way to do it. And also, legacy code, like a huge legacy code base, and like just like the, the general idea of a legacy burden is a liability when a new cust- or a new competitor can come in and outrun you with an, if they only use the new stuff like how long does it take like you know if you have like five years of experience of like your code base and how long would it take for a new competitor to come in and match you and then outrun you if they were only using the new stuff if they didn't have your legacy like I, you got to think about that I, I have no idea even where to start with any of this so instead, I will start with our sponsor, and then you can tell me where to start yeah. afterwards. I can tell you what to do. Don't worry. I got this. <laughs> okay, good. Please. I'm, d- I'm really depending on you. So we are brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. You can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, and node location. It doesn't matter if you're working on your first server or deploying a complex system. Linode is where to go. They offer the fastest hardware network with outstanding customer support if you ever need help, and it's super easy to launch a Linode cloud server. They also now have block storage available in Newark, Fremont, Dallas, Atlanta, Frankfurt, London, and Singapore, soon to be released in Tokyo. And they have this all-new version 4 RESTful API that's now out of beta, and it includes a great CLI, including an officially supported Python CLI. So also, right now, Linode is hiring. So if you want to learn more and check out what they are looking for, just go to linode.com slash careers. Now, I love Linode. I've been there for over eight years now. I have all my servers hosted there. And really, you know, I, I said earlier, I'm trying to get myself out of running so many servers, but it's not their fault at all. Linode is great. They, like everything they do for me is super easy. It's like if you want to run a server with minimal complexity, minimal effort, and honestly, minimal price, <laughs> they, are, they are the place to go. Their pricing options are fantastic. Their plans start at 1 gig of RAM for just $5 a month. They also offer high memory plans, dedicated CPU plans, and lots of other specialties in case you need that. And Linode has a special offer for our listeners. If you go to linode.com slash radar and use promo code radar2019, you will get $20 towards any Linode plan. So on that $5 a month plan, that could be four months free. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. So give Linode a try today at linode.com slash radar, promo code radar2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Thank you so much to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So Dave, where do I start? What do I do? This year is worse than the normal pattern, but I think the normal pattern still helps us get out of this hole. Because this year there's just more, there's more choices, there's more options, there's more things that we can do. But I think the, like the approach I think that is, I've, I've found works well in past years, I think still applies well here, is that ultimately the next three months are about making sure that our users' expectations for new and user-facing and visible and you know, heavily marketed by Apple features uh, are taken care of, which I think is both good for our customers in terms of obviously like giving them the new things that they're looking for and expecting, and also you know, as a side benefit, useful in terms of being part of the marketing and editorial uh, push that will happen you know, September, October. And this year, I feel like a lot of that stuff is going to be, it's like making sure we do obviously like the 
dark mode um, on Oh, I forgot about on that. iOS, <laughs> which is, is less complicated. Like Overcast already has a dark mode. Pedometer Plus Plus already has a dark mode. Like, yeah, but now we have to like now I have to think about like do I offer it as an option to follow the system setting or to keep your own independent setting? Because you know this always happens whenever the system adds something like you know rotation lock or something. Then like apps that already had that as a separate option are faced with the problem of like if you just follow the system and remove the option from your app, then users will complain because they're like, I want to keep the system in light mode, but I want your app in dark mode. And so then you have to decide whether to not follow the system or whether to have like another preference that says, follow the system preference or use my own preference. (laughs) Yeah. That is going to be tricky, but at least the fundamental work, like the hard part with dark mode was making all your views have dynamic theming. Like that's the part that was really challenging and more, more difficult, but like that's a feature that I think users are going to expect. And especially um, it's a feature where people are going to really, you would really stand out if you didn't adopt it. Cause if the user has switched their phone into dark mode and they're, you know, going around between all these black apps and then suddenly they come to one of yours and it's like this be this, the like blinding white, uh, screen of you know screen of brightness like that's going to stand out both like in terms of burning their eyes as well as like oh whoa what's going on here and so like that's a feature that i think we absolutely need to make sure we sort of is is absolutely ready at the you know sort of day one and i think that's a feature that doesn't feel um young doesn't feel particularly like problematic it's something that they trialed in mac os before so like in my mind it's kind of like starting there like start with those kind of visual features, making sure we adopt the new, um, some of the new card based things for modals. And there's a few things like that where there's new sort of visual um, things to that, that that users are going to expect. Um, I think on the uh, going along that those same lines, I feel like on the watch, the big push is going to be independence. And so, if you have a watch app, I feel like it is imperative that you make it independent um, and like have it be independent at the beginning. And it's more important that probably for day one that it is independent than that it uses Swift UI and has all the fancy new UI things you can do there and the new capabilities. But it's like, at the very least, it needs to be able to be something that you can use in some form, um, you know, by itself. Like that seems like something that's it seems like the general theme is that's a very important thing. It doesn't really make sense now, but it will probably make a lot of sense this fall. That's kind of the vibe I get. And then what I tend to do is I'll lay out the rest of the features and the things that I want to do. And I'll start with the customer. Start with things that they will notice, that they would um, appreciate, that would make their experience of using the app better. And start there and then just kind of work backwards. Because many of the architectural changes and the kind of under the hood improvements that we get, you know, that, that were made possible this year. Like there's a huge amounts of stuff with, um, you know, I remember in our kind of like wants and wishes episode, we asked for better UI table view stuff. And we got a lot of that. Like there was a, we have this whole new diffable data source uh, system that can, you know, give you dynamic and thoughtful updates to UI table view to make sure you don't get it into an inconsistent state. That's great. But if you have a current system that that works and that's just going to be made better, you know, it's like that gets pushed farther down uh, the line in my mind because ultimately it's like what I want to do is you know, push forward those features that people are going to notice, that are going to get attention, that are going to make my users' life better, that are actually going to be quality of life improvements for them. And then it's this process from there of working back down, you know, progressively deeper in the stack 
um, getting towards things that like start benefiting me rather than my customer. And like, I don't know if that's the exact right approach, but what's something that I've found sort of over the years that seems to work well is to have that just start with the user and work your way back rather than it is so easy to get stuck on the things that are exciting, the things that are really cool and would make your life, like the developer, you know, you or my or our listeners life easier. Like those things are great, but they're also like, no one's ever going to notice. And like in many ways, the, the fun, the, like, you know, you're going down a tricky road when, it's a feature where your goal is that the user doesn't notice. Where your goal is that you know you've switched something out under the hood and they should never be aware of it. And if that's the case, like absolutely do that. And that is a great feature for like you know the end of the year, January, February, when um, things tend to you know slow down and the initial you know sort of push of this has settled out. Um, but that's sort of the general approach I'm taking this year. And I think the only slight exception to that is with SwiftUI on the watch is an area that I feel very conflicted about because we finally have the ability to make like a genuinely interactive, not kind of horrible and broken watch interface. And if you've listened to the show for a long time, I love making watch apps. Like it's my jam. I love it. And I'm very tempted to dive into SwiftUI probably sooner than I should because it's a very young um, it's a very young framework. I mean, I'm sure it's been developed and been working on for years at Apple, but it's not something that has been out in the public and been battle tested and, you know, is in wide use by Apple itself. And, you know, it's something that is very young. And I, it was a funny thing I kept saying this last week is that I felt really smug, um, for never learning auto layout, never learning size <laughs> classes, never learning, uh, storyboards like there's all these UI frameworks and, pr- and platforms that Apple has introduced over the years, and I never used them because I was just happy doing what I was doing. And you know, here's another one they're presenting, and I think that it has a, the effort behind it makes me think it's a bit more comprehensive than those kind of things, those previous uh, UI you know paradigms, which were all about taking the old version and making it better. But the reality is, like, if I want to make cool watch apps, I'm going to need to to learn it, and I kind of want to start making those now, but. In my mind, that's my like dessert at the end of the summer for hopefully when A, the bugs are kind of starting to get worked out and you know, we're on like beta six of the Swift UI, which is hopefully gonna be a lot better than it is now, where you know, I chewed through thirty like thirty-five percent of my the battery on my laptop uh, <laughs> at the airport trying to like work on it for ten minutes. And it just like <laughs> Xcode was using six hundred percent of my CPU f- doing the live preview. And like I don't know why. It wasn't like I was building this crazy complicated thing, but that's developer tools. Like that's it's a you know it's the first beta of a of something that is clearly not you know it has not been optimized for battery performance and uh, like at this point that is not what it's there for. And so like maybe at the you know maybe beta five beta six that's a good time to pick that up. And in the meantime, focus on anything that the user is going to see. And then I, think, I suppose there's also this other side thing of deciding what we're going to do with adoption. You know, in terms of requiring uh, you know iOS thirteen or watchOS six. And deciding that now because it gets really awkward to kind of if you're either you need to intentionally be developing and you know parallel features, or you need to decide now that you're going to cut support and you know be able to push that off and deal with deprecation in that way um, now because deciding late late in the summer is just going to mean that you've either done double the work or you've dug yourself into a big hole. Yeah, I mean. My usual approach to that is to take advantage of the fact that I'm a one-person company with lots of early adopter users and just require the new OS pretty soon after it's out, either on day one or like you know maybe a couple of weeks or a month later. 
Um, and you know, because like the people on the old OS, the old apps that they have that that won't auto update to the new version still work. Like they still like Overcast. You know, twenty nineteen point whatever it's going to be when the when the ba- when the uh, new version ships, that's still going to work. Sure. For you know, for a while probably. And and this year, like you know, last year the iOS twelve transition didn't cut off uh, hardware support for any devices, but this year the iOS thirteen transition does. So there there is some argument to hold back a little bit, uh, but ultimately, like for for me, like I'd rather I'd rather lose those users because it's you know lose them having the latest version because it is a relatively small percentage after after not too long, than have to write like two different code bases or have to like if available all this stuff in my code and and add to my workload and add to my maintenance then get reports about like oh well if you if you do this certain thing with the new version on ios 12 it crashes and then i have to you know bring up an ios 12 instance of something or or have a test device lying around for that like that's no fun so like that and for for a one person shop that is a pretty big burden uh, so I, I always plow full steam ahead and require the new thing pretty much immediately. And that has worked out fine. I will say this is one of those years where I am sorely tempted to go down that road, um, where I think typically I take the same approach that you take of, um, or that you don't the, take the opposite approach of supporting um, one or two levels back. But this year I feel like I'm very tempted by what you do because it does feel like the kind of year where pushing the plat it's like the platform itself is being pushed so far forward that trying to hold on to the past is just going to feel awkward in a way that you know and certainly obviously on like on the watch os platform like that's going to be like night you can do night and day difference between the two platforms in terms of it on watch os 5 and watch os 6 and supporting them both in parallel like they're two very fundamentally different systems and so like having a like essentially all you could do is take the old version of the app and like leave it in its own little ui tree like often a little you know it's like, it's like put, put it in a box off in the corner and <laughs> if you happen to launch on that device like you go into that box and you stay in that box um but you know and then if you're if you're you know running the latest stuff you get the new thing but and the reality is i think yeah, it's like I think this year I'm so tempted. I'm not there yet, but I'm I'm so slowly tempted by the the, the, the you know you're like the dark side of what you're talking about, Marco. Because it's like it is Apple has done such a good job of being really annoying about watch about uh, you know updating to the latest stuff. Like they are annoyingly aggressive about it. Um, you know, every, then every time I pick up one of my testing phones, it's like it's. <laughs> every it feels, it feels like every like two or three hours it's like hey you know there's a new version of ios hey you know there's a new version of ios and then like watches are even the same way now like they they're very aggressive about it and they get around the problem of not making it so that you could you, that it takes so long to do the update by saying hey the next time your watch is on a charger we'll go ahead and install it for you you don't have to do anything and so then like more likely than not that's going to happen there and like i've seen right now you know, watchOS adoption is very, very good. Like of devices that can support watchOS five, I think I'm at like ninety eight point eight percent are running watchOS five. Like That's it huge. is very, very good from four to five. And like fair That's enough, better I'll, than the phone adoption rate. I, I think it is, and it's like I think there's an element of it's just it's just so aggressive, and really you know pushes people to do it. And the reality is like there's going to be those people who are on devices who we can't support if that's the road we go down. And like that's frustrating. Like, you know, if you're running a Series Zero watch or a 5S, a 6 or a 6 Plus, like 
you're kind of out of luck with uh, this new stuff, but that's going to be a smaller and smaller group of people. And it's not really like that's the, the features that are going to, you know, excite new customers and excite Apple and excite people who are you know, going to write about your apps. They're interested in the new stuff. They're not that interested in the effort and time it took for you to support the old things. And so like this, this definitely feels like a year where Apple has taken this inflection point and they're like heading in a new direction and like, Burning the ships and starting, in, you know, sort of heading out with them, maybe is like a, a good choice this year. Yeah, because you know, like I'm, like I'm not going to say that there's no cost of doing this. Like there is a cost of losing the support of the previous OS. There's it is, and it is significant for some apps. But there is also a cost of not doing that. There's also a cost of maintaining support on your side. So like there you have to weigh those costs and for certain apps or for certain companies it makes sense to you know keep the old support around for a while but especially for independent developers i I think there's a huge argument to be had of just require the newest thing and be done with it because you save so much on your side and your time is so precious as an indie like that that it might you might have to lose a few customers to do that but the cost difference might be such that it actually makes sense to do that yeah, and I think one thing—the only thing I'll say with that—is if you are going to go down that road, make sure your last version before you drop support is a really good version. Yeah, <laughs> that's just a pro tip. I've been down that road. I've made that mistake. Don't do that. Make sure it's a really like solid, bug-free, like excellent version that you would feel happy running out into the future for who knows how many years. All right, with that, we got we are out of time. So thank you for listening, everybody. Good luck tackling all your stuff. I'm going to try myself, and we'll report back in two weeks. All right, bye. Bye.